Now, since the beginning of the crisis in Ukraine, the United States has worked to build a strong international coalition to support Ukraine, its sovereignty, its territorial integrity, its right to determine its own destiny, and to increase the pressure on Russia for actions that have undermined Ukraine's sovereignty, territorial integrity, and ability to make its own decisions. Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. This is part of my firewalk we covered, but today we'll be focusing exclusively on the missing pieces, the deleted scenes that were released as a separate film, basically, uh, a side project by Lynch, shortly before he announced that Twin Peaks would be coming back. But at the time that these scenes came out, there was no knowledge that there would be more Twin Peaks. So a lot of people felt like this was going to be the last Twin Peaks we were ever going to get. So first, I'm going to talk about the production context for that. And then, as I usually do on Wednesdays, I'm going to dive into the current events of that period. So in this case, uh, July 29th, 2014, when the deleted scenes, missing pieces were released on Blu-ray. And uh, we'll look back at what is now eight years in the past. David Lynch and Robert Engels wrote a pretty long screenplay for Firewalk with Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, the prequel film that they were writing in 1991. Lynch went on to shoot way too much footage for a, you know, mainstream theatrical feature, which is what this was intended to be. It was uh, funded by a French production company and uh, slotted to be premiered at Cannes in 1992 and then eventually released by New Line in uh, the U.S. They were the U.S. distributor and almost kind of marketed it as a horror film a little bit. So with all of that in mind, there's no way this was going to be a four or five hour movie. And I think Lynch kind of knew that, but nonetheless, he was trying to hang on to this extended cut apparently according to andreas halskov's book tv peaks up to a few months before the premiere date he still had a really long cut of the film and gil jacob the uh, cons uh, i think he was like the programmer he was somehow in charge of some aspect of the con film festival uh an interesting story in 1990 apparently as part of the celebration of wild at heart uh, nicholas cage I don't know if he popped out of a cake or something, but he made a surprise appearance and started crooning Love Me Tender to Gil Jacobs' wife. So that was... uh, David Lynch always had a very ostentatious way of celebrating his uh, film's premieres at Cannes, and that was one of them. He had a few for Firewalk With Me as well, as we discuss in the Firewalk With Me episode. So anyways, Gil Jacob came to the editing uh, booth, the studio, and looked at a cut of the film and just basically said, David, this is way too long. There's too much tangential stuff. You've got to cut this down. And I can't remember if he said exactly, you know, cut it down to the Laura stuff, but I think that was sort of implicit. And Mary Sweeney had talked in the past, the editor of this film, who was also Lynch's uh, partner at the time, pregnant with his son, and uh, she has said often that, you know, they wanted to, he he really wanted to keep all these actors in and make it all happen, but there just wasn't enough room. And it was sort of tragic, you know, to lose all these people. But I just, I do find it hard to believe that uh, he had a conception of this film that would include all this stuff because it just doesn't fit together. I think it works much better as two separate projects. And of course, at the time he thought this was probably it. You're deleting these scenes. You'll never see them again. You know, the wasn't really a big market. Um, DVDs weren't even really a thing yet. So showing the uh, deleted scenes, even as special features, he probably wouldn't have expected. For decades, the scenes remained untouched. The reels of them were preserved. Lynch held on to them, but either because he didn't have the rights of distribution somehow from the French studio, 
or just I know the main reason was because he did not have the funding he felt necessary to color correct these clips, to sound mix them, to make them look nice, to spend time editing them together. He really wanted to present these as nice as if they were in the movie. And who was going to fund that? Like, why are you going to fund the restoration of deleted scenes? Let alone, like, people probably wouldn't do that for a really popular movie. And when Firewalk with Me came out in 92, it was really unpopular. So this was the most obscure project you could fund. And although there were a lot of fans who wanted to see it happen, I think there was even a fundraiser at some point, a GoFundMe or something in the 2000s where fans tried to raise the funds necessary. And when there were releases uh, early in the 2000s, around 2001, they released seasons, season one, I think. And then Firewalk With Me was released by New Line in a very... Mm, I don't know. I mean, it was the official release, but in a way, it was unauthorized. They didn't mix it the way Lynch would have wanted or anything. He didn't have any control over that uh, release. And then when the Gold Box came out in 2008 with the full series, seasons one and two, I think Charles de Lozerica, who produced that set and later would produce the entire mystery, hoped to include the missing pieces, but they still just couldn't couldn't arrange it. Uh, but then in 2014, when they were coming out with the series on Blu-ray, finally uh, they were able to secure the rights to release the film with it. And at that point, they could get the funding to put to- put together these deleted scenes. So Lynch looked through his vault. He found way more reels than he thought there were. He thought there was maybe an hour of deleted scenes. It turns out there was about 90 minutes. And also in the years preceding this, it had practice cutting together deleted scenes as almost a standalone project. He did this for Inland Empire. It's a feature called More Things That Happened on that disc. And he cuts them in a different way than the film itself, which is definitely precedent for what he does here. Also with Wild at Heart, he cut those scenes together. That one I've yet to see. It's on the lime green box at a very rare very expensive David Lynch box set so I haven't seen those yet Um, they may have gotten another release at this point I'm not sure but the Inland Empire ones I've seen and those scenes are cut together in a somber slower less fancy presentation I don't know how to describe it exactly Inland Empire is all over the place there's like cross dissolves and superimpositions and everything going crazy more things that happen is much calmer it's almost like static shots long takes and missing pieces follows that format too so keep in mind lynch edited this himself he was no longer with mary sweeney at this point and uh he had edited his last film inland empire so he did the same with the missing pieces just cut them himself on his own computer as such and also because of the fact that it's 22 years had passed since he'd made fire walk with me it has a very different rhythm a very different style a very different feel uh, which we'll discuss when we get to that section of this of this episode, the the feel of of this entity. He had sort of built upon these earlier films where he had cut the deleted scenes together. According to Sabrina Sutherland, the executive producer of, I think, this project, Missing Pieces Project, certainly of Twin Peaks The Return, uh, she says that there are no other shots that were found. They found everything available. So there may have been some other things that were shot that uh, just were lost because there are scenes that are in the script that are not in the missing pieces. Some of them may not have been shot, uh, but other ones... You know, there's there's one shot where the camera tilts down at Sparkwood in 21 as James rides away on his motorcycle, and it's Cameron Claudia of the Obnoxious Anonymous podcast has pointed out. The reason the camera starts to pan down there is because in the script, it's supposed to pan down and, and settle upon a, a red rose lying in the middle of the intersection, a sort of a symbol of Lara's lost innocence or youth or vitality. And 
there's even a scene earlier in the uh, script, which is in The Missing Pieces, where Doc Hayward talks about losing a red rose at Sparkwood in 21. So it sets that all up. So there may have been things that were shot that just uh, were lost and, and couldn't make it into The Missing Pieces. But there were also some things in The Missing Pieces that weren't in the script. So there are things that Lynch came up with during production uh, some of which made it into the film, some of which didn't, but now we're able to see, which is exciting. Lynch premiered this whole project at a big rollout red carpet Hollywood premiere in the summer of 2014. It was very a great turnaround for Firewalk With Me, this film that had been so maligned. And now the deleted scenes were getting this big ticket L.A. premiere. I mean, I'm exaggerating somewhat. It wasn't that big ticket. Uh, I know John Thorne had a friend who went there and he said, well, it was the usual Lynch fans and people, who aficionados, people in his circle who went to that. But it was still cool. They got to have that, that thing, that get together. And uh, they hadn't actually done that with Firewalk With Me. There was like an L.A. promotional party, but they didn't show the film, which the press talked about as being a bad sign. And it was only premiered up in the Snoqualmie area, uh, actually at the first Twin Peaks Festival in 1992, where they felt that would get a more receptive audience up there, which I believe it did. So the film itself, the the deleted scene slash uh, standalone, you know, missing pieces film was released as part of the entire mystery Blu-ray box set, essentially as a special feature, but a very, very prominent one that many people bought the whole set to see. Uh, And that was a few days later or a couple weeks later in the summer of 2014. And everybody thought that was it. There'll be no more. Twin Peaks, this is all we're going to get. Right away, a fan edit was assembled where scenes from Fire Walk With Me and the missing pieces were combined by Q2, a fan editor who had made some Twin Peaks fan edits before. And uh, this has become fairly popular online. There are many people, I think, who watched the fan edit first. They were told, oh, watch it all together. Uh, some of them accidentally deleted, downloaded the uh, deleted scenes uh, uh, by themselves, or they deleted the Q2 fan, I mean, I'm sorry, downloaded the Q2 fan edit, and that's how they first saw Firewalk with Me, which I think is kind of tragic, to be honest. My take on that question, on the fan edit question, is I think it's cool as an experiment. I think it's worth doing and seeing how these scenes butt up against each other and, uh, you know, looking at kind of the original shape of the script as it was intended. I've yet to watch it. At some point, I'm sure I will. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see it, but by no means should that be somebody's introduction to Firewalk With Me. These are two very distinct works. Very distinct. They don't belong together. They're not meant to go together. There was one point a year ago, or a couple years ago, depending when you're listening to this, five years ago, when Sabrina Sutherland said that, oh, David Lynch would consider putting them together. And I'm hoping she misspoke, because as much as I love David Lynch, I just... I think that would be a sign of disrespect to Firewalk with me, especially because that film needs to be centered around Laura Palmer and the missing pieces have a lot of more tangential material that's fascinating to see. And I'm so glad we can see it now, but it's a different thing. And also just the style doesn't go together at all. You can't cut from all of these scenes that are assembled with a delicate interplay of close-ups and the mute, the score very prominent on the soundtrack. And then suddenly we're into like room tone and these long wide shots and long takes. That's just not, you know, that you can't do that. <laughs> and I don't think he will. As I said, this was released on July 29th, 2014, after the July 16th, 2014 Hollywood red carpet premiere. For the movies at that time, Lucy was number one at the box office with $61 million. That was the Scarlett Johansson sort of uh, 
I don't know if it was sci-fi, but it, it was an action film that uh, was was doing well at that time, I believe, directed by Luc Besson. Now that I've said that, I'm going to have to look it up. And on TV at the time, America's Got Talent, I'm talking literally the night that uh, The Missing Pieces came out, America's Got Talent was the number one show. And it had a rating of 2.4, which was almost double the next ranked show. Now, of course, if you remember the numbers when Twin Peaks was on TV, this just tells you so much about how, you know, the TV audience had fragmented radically uh, and probably shrunk somewhat as well given the internet and other things like that you know since the days of Twin Peaks uh, and before we move on yes I did check and it is a Luc Besson movie what was going on in the world at that time we talk about this what's going on at the time the episodes air 1990-91 was a pretty eventful time in the world and what was happening in 2014 was Israel was bombing the Gaza Strip uh, the U.S. was accusing Russia of violating arms control and tightening some sanctions they had against Russia with the EU for actions in Ukraine earlier that year. And a federal appeals court overturned Virginia's same-sex marriage ban. So for those of us sort of paying attention or loose attention to politics in 2014, that all sounds about right. Things going on in the world that I don't think uh, were things that were very important, but often were not uh, in people's faces quite as much as, as some of the stuff during the Trump era. As I said, people will be listening to this at different times, so I'm not even going to go there. We'll see where we're at. The Time Magazine cover for the week that the Blu-ray was released, July 28, 2014, was Space Invaders. This is a cover story about invasive species dealing with animals and plants, particularly animals like the Burmese python, which have been transplanted to North America by travelers or importers and are now taking over the environment, posing a huge threat to natural habitats. Florida apparently is ground zero for this phenomenon. Another big article in this issue is Surprise, the economy isn't as bad as you think, which has a certain pleading tone to it. The piece proclaims in negative space bullet points, the sleek design of this issue is very early to mid-2010s, Americans are spending like they mean it. Housing has come back to life. American-made makes sense again. Energy production is booming. Our environment is getting healthier. American schools are working smarter and social trends are moving in the right direction. I can't remember this piece exactly since I kind of wrote up these bullet points, but my guess is the American schools are working smarter has something to do with promoting charter schools. So then this piece acknowledges, quote, the challenge ahead. And it says, Our country's biggest challenge now is the plight of lower-income Americans who are under severe and sustained economic pressure. Today, America resembles a tale of two cities— Those who own homes or stocks have benefited from the recovery in these asset classes and are moving up again, but 40% of our working-age families earn $40,000 a year or less. These are the sort of warning signs, beneath that triumphalism, that were starting to buzz subtly at this time, though most pundits ignored them. Near the front of the magazine, a short briefing on Elizabeth Warren declares her a liberal Senate populist, whose message has crossover appeal to both the left and right, though it seems unlikely she'll challenge Hillary Clinton in 2016. Another briefing mentions a Silicon Valley proposal to split California into six different states, including one which would be the wealthiest in the U.S. Surprise, surprise, that new state's name would be Silicon Valley. Joe Klein, the man who lionized the neoliberal instincts of President Clinton in his pseudonymous novel Primary Colors, pens a surprisingly forceful, if at times naive, plea in this issue— for Obama to visit the Mexican border, where a humanitarian crisis is unfolding due to the outpouring of Central American refugees. At the height of the gauzy media love affair with the late Obama-era's glib, smug, self-satisfied bougier, 
Klein presciently writes, These are precisely the sort of things that Obama doesn't seem to do anymore. There has been a skein of stories indicating he's thrown in the towel. He's so tired of headbanging with Republicans that he has taken refuge in late-night dinners with celebrities and intellectuals. Robert Kennedy did a lot of that, too. But Kennedy never gave the impression that politics was distasteful, beneath him, as Obama too frequently does. Kennedy was all about passion. Obama seems to be all about decorum. He needs to go to the border, on a lot of issues. If he's going to accomplish anything in the last two years of his presidency, he's going to have to change his style, which will be near impossible for a man as entrenched behind his flaxen jackets as the president is. That's it for this episode. Uh, as always, we'll play a little clip from that time period to take us out. But uh, before we get to that, I just want to say tomorrow's episode will be a mix of Firewalk With Me and the Missing Pieces. It's the In the Weeds episode where we dig into things like character rankings and um, the locations, coffee, pine, donuts, etc. Just sort of more trivial stuff. As we're In this case, usually we do that at the end of a podcast week, but in this case... Um, even though it's coming out on the usual Thursday, since this is a two-week Firewalk With Me coverage, we're actually using this as a springboard to start to jump into the deeper material, the heavier material, the more serious subjects with the film. I'll see you then, and please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and you can become a patron on patreon.com slash lostinthemovies. Is what happens on Wall Street and the stock market something that is a reflection of the problem that you're discussing, or is it relevant for average people? Well, I think it's it's relevant for us all in this sense, that ironically, under Obama, who some of the Republicans seem to think is this anti-business, uh, left-wing, socialist radical, that under Obama, the wealthiest people in this country have done phenomenally well, and one of the reasons for that has been a huge increase in um, the stock market. But you understand, I think, that most people are not investing uh, in the stock market. Most individuals are not. And as the stock market goes up, it primarily benefits the wealthiest people. Not in all cases, but in most cases. The reality today, economically, is that real unemployment, as opposed to official unemployment, and this is the number that impacts ordinary folks, is close to 12%. Youth unemployment, somewhere near 20%. African-American youth unemployment, close to 40%. And most of the new jobs that are being created are low-wage, part-time. Those are the issues that we have got to focus on. You could have the stock market going off the roof, but if it doesn't mean anything to ordinary people, what's the point? Senator, I want to bring in another caller. We've got Matt on the line from Newington, Connecticut. Matt, what's your question for Senator Sanders? Hi, John. Um, Congressman Sanders, I'm a former Vermonter. Um, I left in during the Navy. I'm actually very excited uh, at the possibility of you um, running for the presidency. 